On today's episode of The Glue Guys, the Nets are in the playoffs! They're the seventh seed! They beat the Clippers! Hey, we're gonna talk about all that and Jacques Vaughn, Nets, coach for life? Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Oof. Check us out on Twitter at Mike Smeltz is my Twitter handle. This bit will not die. <laughs> this bit will not die. All right, Brian. at the Brian Egan on Twitter, please. We have to get more followers than Mike. But if you actually like uh, us at BK Glue Guys on Twitter, uh, NetsDaily.com, the Athletic. This season you think? is oh, an unprecedented... Brian, I'm trying to sell some subscriptions know, know, here, buddy. Sorry, 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 sorry. This is an unprecedented sports season of like which we have never seen. To read about it, to know Whoa. about it, to analyze it, <laughs> go to the... You're this going is, with the hard, this is too the hard, hard sell. Too hard. <laughs> yeah. go to the, just go to theathletic.com yeah. slash glue guys, and you are going to be feasting on sports journalism. A veritable feast of sports journalism 40 percent off an annual subscription and you know what's even great get it for yourself get it for a friend get it for a family member if we rack up a hundred thousand subscriptions brian and i will get a free merit badge from the athletic not, girl scouts sound accurate is that does that happen is no, that a thing right. brian whoa wow. whoa stop the presses stop the presses the Nets W's stacking dubs are the best team Here's in the a bubble. Taking out you taking out stacking dubs over here, Mike. Could you have ever predicted the Nets would be the best team in the bubble? One of the best teams in the bubble. I think I don't remember what the tone was of the show leading up to the bubble. I think it was that we were going to be dominant. I feel like that was that there was an undertone of Brooklyn Nets dominance in what we were saying um, leading up to that. No, of course not, Mike. What what's going on here? I mean, how do you explain this? 2020 has been a how shitty you... year. Can we say that? Oh, wow. At yeah, least there's this. Wait, let it out. At least there's this yeah. little uh, chestnut of uh, positivity that the Nets have been delivering us. This is nothing short of miraculous. And I do believe this. The The bubble sort of condenses everything down and the talent gaps between one team to the other because of the unique situation makes it so a <laughs> Rodion's Karutz. Tyler Johnson, Chris Chioza-led Brooklyn Nets could be defeating the Clippers and the Bucks, two teams that have every right to win the championship this year. I get it. I I feel like I want to do like a whole psychiatric study of this season because it, it does seem like we're at a weird advantage. Uh, I'm kind of reminded of this thing that I was reading about like pain and how context is really the sort of like main you know, indicator of how much pain you're going to be in. So for example, like <laughs> they did a study like if you're at war and you get shot uh you need less morphine than if you're at home and you're like walking around and you get shot <laughs> it's because the contexts are totally different if you're or and you get shot like kind of good like i get to go home i didn't die and now you know i'm feeling like my chances of getting out of this hellscape are pretty good and that's great for me if you get shot at home it's like well i was gonna go to work and now <laughs> and now i can't pay my bills because i got shot by a jerk so uh i'm gonna need some morphine please and i feel like the context sorry this is abstract but there there is like 
a certain level of like, you know, good teams who are on their way to like winning a championship this season now are like thrust into this really weird situation in a bubble in in Florida and they're maybe not loving it. And the Nets, who were who's kind of packed the gills with like fringe players at this point, are pretty stoked to be playing competitive basketball in the bubble. So it could be that there is, I don't know, a contextual imbalance there that's letting us have this like, you know, mental <laughs> mental advantage over who we're playing mike are you with me on this are you feeling this i am 100 percent with you and i don't think this is the perfect but it, it, if the nets needed morphine i guess jacques vaughn is the who what's the what's the person in the hospital that gives you morphine anesthesiologist he's the anesthesiologist he is dosing the, he's picking up the correct dosage he's looking at the vials he's saying you know the nets need this much motivation for this game they need to run a zone defense he picks up the zone defense vial says i'm gonna put that like, musa get over here i got a i got a fat <laughs> syringe for you. a fat syringe of john and yeah. musa actually yeah. he is in the syringe musa is mr yeah. syringe himself um interesting yeah and, and so we'll talk about today we we will talk about the nets if you didn't know, secured the seventh seed in the East, which at one time, remember, we were debating the Nets going to tank. They should be tanking, right. right? That was a fun conversation. Bad take. That's not a good take anymore. So we'll talk about the matchup with the Toronto Raptors. This will be a light sort of preview. It'll be just like thoughts and feelings about it. We'll talk about Jacques Vaughn, but let's trace back to this Clippers game because so Brian and I, as we as we do, you know, we're communicating constantly. Brian and I are constantly in touch, trying to improve the show, trying to bring you the best product possible here on the Glue Guys, NetsDaily.com, the Athletic Forty Percent. What you don't realize, <laughs> what you don't realize about our show is that we actually do. This is like the fourth or fifth take of the show. <laughs> you know, every time every time we do one of these shows, we'll have like four or five hours of just dress rehearsals. We are the David Fincher of podcasters. We we go over it and over it again until yes. it is imparted inside in us is embedded in our soul these lines and that is what when we, we did like this is this right here this part where we're talking about the rehearsal the rehearsals it was itself rehearsed you know it's all very meta <laughs> um the clippers game like brian brian you and I, we were talking about we're like we can do other stuff on Monday because they're not going to beat the Clippers. Kawhi's going to play. It's one of the few, actually Kawhi, you know, set the game before, and then I think they have another day off, and then they're going to play the Nuggets on Tuesday night or something or Tuesday afternoon. So it was like, okay, the Clippers are going to, you know, try to win this game, secure, get some footing, and then when they play the Nuggets, it gives them a little cushion. The Nets, it, at the time we were leading into the game, looked like Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen would not be playing in this game again sit out the, the troika that is the Brooklyn replace, replace Nets. But yet, the Nets had the most prolific offensive quarter uh, in the NBA this season. They shot 85% in the first quarter <laughs> from the field. Against what's supposedly like the most dominant defense in the NBA, right? I mean, don't, where, where do the Clippers rank on one, that now? One of the better defensive talents, let's, let's say, because the team has been a little disjointed because of injuries and Kawhi sitting out. But <laughs> I can't, I can't believe... You know, Twitter is a really bad place, but Nets Twitter has been truly a delight to be a part of during this bubble experience because I feel like I, I know everyone feels this way too. I am shocked. I am shocked that the Nets are able to string together these wins. And the only reason, there's two reasons why I can sort of account for this. Well, one being that I, my bubble theory that I don't think is like that original, but that the the gaps in talent are smushed together because of this weird circumstance. This is a completely foreign way to play professional basketball for all of these guys. It's more like AAU, but that but that was, you know, a decade ago for a lot of these players or maybe 5 years ago for some of them. So this is a completely foreign experience, you know, no travel, no home crowds. We're playing games at weird times at 1 o'clock 
if you're a Clippers team, now this game was at 9 p.m., so it was within the Clippers body clock wheelhouse, and I'm sure they've adjusted. But, you know, like a certain, like the Bucks game was the 130 tip. That's a weird time to play basketball. Weird stuff can happen at that time frame. So there's a lot of strangeness going on. The second thing that you have to give credit to, got to give credit to Jock Vaughn, man. This is, you know, when things are bad, we go right at the coach and we say it's all his fault. Kenny Atkinson, your, your fourth quarter end of game possession plays are lacking. We are mad at you because Spencer Dinwiddie can't hit a mid-range jumper. Well, we got to give Jacques Vaughn credit for taking the ragtag bunch of Sandlot basketball players down to Orlando. Karis LeVert is Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Joe Harris is Goldberg. Jared Allen is Squince Paladoris. I think that's his name. (laughs) I don't know who Wendy Peppercorn is, but I I can't wait to meet her. Amazing job by Jacques Vaughn. And what he's done is he's given them confidence. We talked about this. He's given these guys confidence. They believe. Chris Chioza believes what he's doing. You know, when Musa's out there for the very short window of time, Musa's confidence is even higher than it was before, which seems incredible. And just amazing. What a game, Brian. What a game. And uh, Tyler Johnson shut me up, which we can talk about later, too. Did did he? You're you're willing to eat the crow for on Tyler Johnson? Absolutely not. Yes. No. Um, I don't think it's, I mean, it's, it's, there's somebody's cooking up some crow. I don't think you have to eat it quite yet, but it's in the, it's, there's a pot of crow stewing in the back that you may or may not have to do eat. Do you cook crow know. in a pot or is it a rotisserie? It's up to is you. I mean, boss heck, market? you could, you could pan sear the crow, the crow if you want. <laughs> you know, it's truly, truly up it's to definitely you. definitely marinating um, in the, in the fridge right now. I'm not going to apologize for my Tyler Johnson taste. It, it I will say it was like, it, he had a, a good solid game above average. <laughs> At like I, people were really ready to get, have us eat that crow. We were, they were about to like force feed crow sliders down our throats a little bit early here. But I mean, it was a good game. Don't get me wrong, and I'm optimistic that he can that he can continue on this on this track here. And so maybe the, again, maybe there will be crow. Mike, you tell me when we're ready to eat the crow, okay? And I'm there with. I, you. I'm not quite there yet. He had a good shooting night. I, I and I'm not like again. I I've had very many like time like you know when you talk about a team for a while, you you're critical of the team at times, right? You're critical of players. But I feel like I got more like Tyler Johnson proved you wrong tweets than of almost anything I've ever said on this pod. The people, the Tyler Johnson mob is out there. The tie hob, the tie hive, the tie hive. Wow. I'm trying to workshop that. It's, it's perfect. That's publishable. You're ready to go. Yeah. But to, to sort of piggyback off what you were saying before regarding the weird times and everything, it's funny because like I am, I am, I'm, I am trained to have a pessimistic view of Nets basketball in general. <clears throat> so whenever we like beat good teams, I'm always like, well, like, what could it have been? But here's the thing, like in all of the games that we've won, the, the visual, the on-court visuals, the offense have, have been like pretty unbelievably attractive. Like, it's not because, like, we, you know, got the Bucks to play in the muck with us. It's like we we actually played a pretty attractive game of basketball when we were when we were doing at our best, um, which which I guess is not something I'm used to for for this kind of team. Because, like, generally, if we're going to be good teams, it's like, oh, like, that was a weird, like, turnover heavy, like, slog fest that, like, you know, ended up being 91-90. But no, we just kind of, like, especially in that, in that Clippers game, like, we got up to, uh, obviously, the insane first quarter, which was, like, a... A, a, a just a work of art just a beautiful work of art the thing that i'll cherish always um but then like when the game got serious and Kawhi like decided like okay like time to time to win the game now um we 
we continued to like have an aesthetically pleasing offense that like stayed the course. You know, it wasn't it, we didn't we didn't just get lost and back in our ISO heavy ways or whatever. Um, so I mean, like again, credit to Jacques Vaughn. And do we need to talk about now if Jacques Vaughn is? Did he did he clinch a we clinch a, a playoff berth? Did he clinch a jobby job? Let, let's put a pin on that for the moment. Oh, because we'll oh, we'll get to that. But sorry. first, oh my mistake, fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? <laughs> the beaches are opening. The beaches are open. I mean, they may be shut down depending on where you're listening to this, but the beaches are open. And the sun is shining, that's for sure. The sun will always be shining. And Brian, the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine bod is ready for the wild. And really, it's not even post-quarantine bod. We're all quarantining still, I hope. Manscaped. We should be trimming the bushes if you can, if you know what I mean. This, this is what Manscaped can do for you. They can get you a perfect package 3.0 kit with the essential lawnmower 3.0. That's waterproof. That is cordless. It's a body trimmer now. And it has a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. A chest shave. This third generation. This is a third generation shaver now. Okay, the trimmer features skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents and incidents, both accidents and incidents. And this is a part of a perfect package. You'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver. This is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. It's it's painful. And the, and the worst is when you start chafing and then you're just stuck at the water park with the chafe all day. Nowhere to go. Prisoner to the chafe. Prisoner to the chafe. Don't be a prisoner to the chafe. Set yourself free. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC20 to get yourself 20% off free shipping right now. And that is manscaped.com. The code THEATHLETIC20. 20% off free shipping. And that's going to get you two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value. And the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. Okay, so you posited the question, does he deserve a job? How, how would you rate Jock? How has he done so far in the bubble? I want to talk about like the least important things first, which is just his his appearance on the sidelines, his his body language, which I am super in favor of. I, I, I think it's also like transformed a lot from his Orlando days. He was one of those sort of arms crossed coaches you know back back in orlando I, th- I think of him as like a sort of like this he had he also had like a little bit more weight back then he was carrying a little bit more weight so it was kind of like you know how when you're when you're a little swollen and you're just using that <laughs> using that to prop up your arms that's how i think of him in orlando and now his arms straight down inquisitive open he's a little bit more he's in the sort of spiritual realm i feel like you know and that's I think that's going to serve him nicely going forward. You know, like his his the way that he engages with like even the referees when he's questioning the thought. It's like he really just like wants to know. It's like I'm I'm really curious about why you fucked that up so bad. Like I just I just want <laughs> and to that's know. how you would deliver it too. Yeah. Hey, hey, St- hey Steve Javi, come here. Um, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. How's the family? Everything's great. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to ask you something. Just so what do you, what were you seeing over there when you fucked it mm-hmm. up so bad? Because mm-hmm. no, no, I'm just trying to get because I appreciate the thought yeah. and the viewpoint. I just yeah. want to see it. How did you right. fuck it up? Um, yeah, I want to be in your head. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. And I agree with you. It's incredible because so often like this is my this is a bad thought process that I've had about basketball for a long time, probably because mostly like I think about basketball coaching staffs more like a football coaching staff. 
We're like a football coaching staff. I feel like everyone is of the philosophy of the head coach. The head coach picks all of his assistants to run the plays that he wants to do. If you want to run a three, four or a four, three, if you want to run sort of a spread offense or you want to run a more conservative run style offense, all the coaches that are from below the tree of the head coach in football sort of based off of that philosophy. And in basketball, that's what I had previously thought too. But then you see someone like Nick Nurse come out and out of Dwayne Casey's coaching staff, and they're totally different, right? And and Nick Nurse has had, obviously, amazing success. And you see Kenny Atkinson. In it. I think Kenny Atkinson's brand works super hard, sweat a bunch, you know, try to develop the young guys as much as they possibly can. But But part of development is like there's a constant pressure that is applied to development, right? Development isn't going to happen by just like, uh, you know, kind of letting the guys be free and be wild. No, development happens by constantly calling out people. And we know through many stories that Kenny famously called out D'Angelo Russell like all the time. And that's how D'Lo got better. That's how we were led to believe D'Angelo Russell got better. Jacques Vaughn has been seemingly completely different. And he obviously was Kenny's lead assistant on the staff. He's now still the interim coach. But he's been about carrying around that bamboo, building confidence. We've seen like these presentations about the Voting Rights Act and sort of like the, the more Phil Jackson-esque parts of coaching. It seems what Jacques Vaughn is pulling out here. To get back to the, like sort of the original question, does he have this job? I don't say he has the job, but he's doing about as impressive of a thing that you could possibly do in a scenario to move the needle further towards his side, right? Like, the only thing you could really get on him is that the defense has been bad, but this team doesn't have any good defenders. You know, this team is is a bunch of G-leaguers, and typically G-leaguers aren't known for their defense. And also, <clears throat> yeah, defense is the kind of thing that you need to... You need to be playing with the guys that you're playing defense with for a long time to really foment a, a truly good defense. It's hard when you're playing with a bunch of new guys. And young guys. And, like... Typically, younger players are bad at defense. That's just how it because that's just how it is in the NBA. Like younger players aren't as good at playing defense as other ones. And this team is being led by Karis LeVert, Joe Harris. And then it's Jared Allen, Chris Chioza. You know, it's just a bunch of younger, younger dudes out there. Jacques has been going into the bubble. I don't know what your mindset was, but I was like, there's no way Jacques Vaughn's going to get this job because we got to look at next year. And I still believe this. We got to look at next year. Who's the coach for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? You're not. We're not looking at who the coach is for Chris Chioza, okay? But if I am Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I'm seeing this impact that Jock Vaughn seems to be having, at least from the outside. Maybe internally it's different, but from the outside, man, it looks interesting. You know, it, it, this team is playing at a really high level. They're Offensively, they're sharing the ball better than they had been all season. If you look at the assist totals for each of the players on the Nets, Karras, I think, had 13 or 12 assists last in the Clippers game. So that's obviously an extraordinary number. But then there are a couple of four assist guys on the team. The t- the game before the Clippers game, there's like four people, four players on the team who had four more assists. There's more sort of equalized ball sharing that is happening on the team as opposed to the traditional Kenny Atkinson style, which was point guard focused. One guy gets to eat and kind of feed everyone else. Uh, this team seems to be much more of like, eat, like roadies allowed given the green light to shoot you know, three-point shots. Tyler Johnson's given the green light to shoot mid-rangers. Like, everyone's kind of getting a let, let's do what they want to do. I'll say this. <clears throat> I think, like, maybe what Jacques Vaughn's sort of, well, what I'm beginning to see is part of his genius, and I'm going to call it genius, capital G genius here. Just kidding. I don't know yet. We'll, we'll see. But part of it is that he let Tyler Johnson do what he wanted to do. I'm using Tyler Johnson as the example again, and I will continue to do this forever. But, so, like, his ratio of mid-range shots has, like, 
precipitously declined and his ratio of three point shots is, you know, climbed closer and closer to just like every shot he's taking is a three. So last, last night he took uh, 11 total field goals, nine of which were three pointers and the vast majority were catch and shoot. He wasn't playing point guard for almost, I don't think any possession, at least not like in the uh, traditional sense. And so he's basically moved out of the playmaking uh, position where he was getting kind of baited into taking mid range shots. And now he's become a kind of kitchen shoot three-point threat which is feels much more natural i think at a at a glance i think everyone would agree you know that only took Jacques vaughn five games to know like hey this is what's happening with tyler johnson he's getting people are sagging on him letting him come into the elbow area and then they're going to push up on him and he is the kind of guy that will be baited into a low efficiency two-point shot how do we work around that without just like benching him in the way that kenny atkinson would just like quickly kind of move some stuff around and boom now tyler johnson seems to be finding his way again my thing about Jacques Vaughn is, has he proven that he is the coach, though, for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Because ultimately, again, that's who Marks is hiring for. He's not hiring for this team yeah. that we're seeing. He's hiring for those two guys, and then Karis Avert, Spencer Dinwiddie, whatever trade may happen, that's the team that he's hiring for. Yeah, I think that little piece of evidence lets me think, like, yes, you know, more than more than just like, I mean, obviously, this is like, however, this is eight games, it's going to be really hard to drive any real macro trends and patterns about his coaching style quite yet. And just as like little tiny little reconfigurations of of the minutes disbursement, and where players are getting their shots up <clears throat> it seems like he's the kind of guy that can like think on his feet you know make like you know informed decisions quickly enough that you can beat really good teams in a bubble and and that's the kind of thing where i think like kevin durant and Kyrie irving will be best served it's just like because at that at that level what you're really trying to do is make like minor alterations to like who's playing where when and why uh you're not really like you don't have time to make Tyler Johnson into the next big thing. That's not just, that's not, that's not on your mind, but you do have time to like get his ratio of three pointers to feel like, you know, mid range shots corrected and in a position where he can actually be like contributing to W's. Um, those tiny alterations you can do. Um, so <clears throat> maybe he could be like the kind of guy that also does Kenny Atkinson style rehabilitations of people's career, like whole, whole stock that's possible, but he just doesn't need to be. And again, like we don't have enough information to know if that's the case, but just those little alterations, like just the idea that he's hasn't, he's basically saying like moved Rodion's crooks in and out of the roster, uh, or out of the lineup. Like the, he started last night and, um, but he wasn't for a long time and he's been doing well. Like he's just, uh, he's open-minded in a way that I, I, I appreciate. And I guess like if he wasn't open-minded in this particular setting, that would be like damning, right? That would be super damning. That'd be terrible. But there is one advantage that he is getting in this, which is basically like there, there, this is a no lose situ- situation, right? Like even if the Nets came out and lost every game, like it really wouldn't impact him all that much. He's improving, right? Like Jacques Vaughn's stature within the team, I feel like at least outside is improving. And he has a bunch of players who are young and hungry plus like Garrett Temple you know who's a little older but so like those guys are more willing to to do what a new coach says as opposed to older players like Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant DeAndre Jordan those guys may not like super be willing to change the the way the offense is being played because really the offense is is different it is much more we're going to share the ball everyone's going to get to hold the ball a bit everyone's going to get to make a decision i mean look at rodance crooks you brought him up he played 31 minutes seven points three from six from the field he got to take four four three pointers which is a lot for like early season roadie who was terrified to shoot the ball 
And now he's given the green light to shoot four three-pointers. And he had four assists and four turnovers, which <laughs> which means that either in, in either circumstance, he's either ending in a bucket when he's controlling the ball like that, or it's going to go over the other team. But you still give him the runway to have those four turnovers. That's almost more impressive to me than the four assists. So it's like Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, there's going to be a natural hierarchy that immediately establishes. And it's not like this team is... Um, I don't know if egalitarian is the term, but it, 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 this team is in all like everyone's on the same level. Levert is obviously the star of the team. And then Joe Harris is like the second scoring option. If they can get him a three, he's the second guy. And Jared Allen has been getting a tremendous amount of flexibility. And then right after we hear from our friends from Indochino, I want to talk about Jared Allen just a minute. Jared Allen, to me, is the primest of prime examples and the one that matters the most because Jared Allen has put a string of games together that that he hasn't been this good ex- except for like very early in the season. Very early in the season, Jared Allen had a bunch of games where he was scoring like 15 points a game and having 10 rebounds. And then he basically kind of disappeared, was completely uneven. Obviously, DeAndre Jordan got moved into the starting lineup when Kenny Atkinson got fired and everyone, you know, we all fell into a Jared Allen camp or DeAndre Jordan camp, and we have yet to extricate ourselves from either side. But now that DeAndre Jordan is not in Orlando and Jared Allen's just been given free reign, Jared Allen is showing the thing that makes him extremely valuable and will make it an extremely tough decision about whether to pay him because the Nets are going to have to make that decision on whether to extend Jared Allen. Because what he is showing here, because partly Jacques Vaughn's giving him the run to do so, I mean, Jared Allen played 37 minutes against the Clippers. That's an insane number for most NBA players, but for a center, and particularly in a bubble format where everyone, you know, you're playing a bunch of close games, that's a really impressive number. He scored 16 points on seven for nine from the field. He's been given the ability to actually handle the ball. He had 16 rebounds and he had four assists. And that's not uncommon. I think Jared Allen, the game before that, had eight, which is, again, an insane number if you're a center, unless if you're Nikola Jokic. What we're seeing from Jared Allen is, is the thing that makes you, if you're Josai and you're worried about luxury tax, if I'm Sean Marks and I go to him and I say, I know you're worried about money. Jared Allen is going to cost a heck of a lot of money more than just his contract because of luxury tax, but he's 22 years old, 23, I don't know, he's almost 23 or 22, whatever, and he is a guy who can get you eight assists in a game, and he can also get you five blocks in a game, and he can, anytime he's around the basket, he's going to score, plus he's just a nice guy who can build a computer. We have to pay him. (laughs) We have to pay tall Bill Gates. This is, it's it's interesting though, because it's like, you know, he's getting good numbers and, but his opportunity like right now is huge. Like, the, it, so just thinking back to March 10th, right? When we played the Los Angeles Lakers in that legendary W that we had, here was Jared Allen's stat line. He shot one for two in 20 minutes, three points, one for one for four from the free throw line, seven rebounds, a couple steals, just not, not an effective stat line. Just not, not a presence on the floor. You know, I mean, seven rebounds is fine, whatever. But that whole like month of March uh, leading up to it, he was averaging like, I guess that's six points, seven points a game. It's interesting to think just how how much he's benefiting from this amount of uh, or like the lack of anybody else playing his position. You know, like there's just not another person that can that can fill that can be DeAndre Jordan and compete for him for that for those minutes. And I think that the competition is just like not his game. He just doesn't want it. He's like, if I'm going to be com- competing for these minutes, like you're going to get them, <laughs> which, which is, which is sad and not, 
and not good but also like i can kind of relate to that on, on a certain level <laughs> like i don't know like he's up against this guy who's been in the league for like a really long time he you know already he's been thrust into a mentor mentee relationship that he didn't sign up for he's just like Ugh, like fine take it i don't know like <laughs> you know like i'm not and i can't pretend to be happy about coming off the bench behind deandre jordan basically one of the big things we often talked about with deandre jordan is like with or with the two choosing one or the other for various minutes is like, you're getting more playmaking with Deandre Jordan. And that may not be true for very long. Jared Allen seems to be getting a good, like he's got an awesome rhythm with Karis LeVert at the very least. Like that, that thing is working nicely for the first time. And also we haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about just like how much better Karis LeVert's playmaking has been in this whole situation, which is the little, like there's a, a side burner, a tiny little saucepan full of crow with my name on it. Mike, because I had been critical of Karis Levert's sort of emergency style playmaking, which which wasn't effective, which he's he's really gotten a lot better at just in the course of these eight games. Um, and I have no doubt that's due to mostly him being like shouldering the entire responsibility and getting a lot of practice at it. There's a big question for me for is like, is the DeAndre Jordan situation is going to be, that's a roadblock, full stop, you know? If you can't continue to be this level of engaged without playing 37 minutes, like that's a big problem. It's worth considering like whether or not you want to sign up for that long term. So like it is it is like a weird thing to say, but it's like it would be great if we could offer him 37 minutes a game next year. But we can't we just can't just can't afford it. We just can't do it to you, Jared. The center position, what makes it so difficult is that these two guys are definitively centers, right? Because let's look at Philly for a second. And Philly is having issues with before Simmons got hurt. They had to start Horford and Embiid for most of the year together. And they finally made the decision. Shake Milton's going to start over Al Horford. No matter what you want to do in the modern NBA, starting two guys who should be centers, there just isn't that much of a benefit. You could do a thing next year where you start Kyrie, Karis LeVert, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan, and Jared Allen. And basically you pull DeAndre Jordan like within the first four minutes. Jared gets run and then DeAndre's back in and then you're flip-flopping center throughout the rest of the game. But DeAndre Jordan's getting a start at power forward next to Jared Allen for four minutes. So we just give DeAndre Jordan the starter reps. And at the end of the game situation, to be honest, both both of those guys probably will not really be on the floor except for defense. Like if you're going to run an offense-defense switch, (laughs) Kevin Durant becomes your five on offense. And then you bring Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan back in at the end of game for a defensive possession or two, right? So it's kind of, it's all about starting, but you can't really do that. You can't start both Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, just because like you're basically wasting those minutes. The the spacing would be so cramped, particularly with Karis LeVert out there, not being a good shooter. You would start slow in every game. Sure. Defensively, you'd be intriguing. And this all links back to, again, this awkward situation you're talking about. You can really only play one center right now in the NBA. And there's only so many minutes to go on the floor for those, both of those centers. And there's only so many crucial minutes that really matter to a guy like DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan obviously didn't want to be a bench player anymore because we know that because the minute Jacques Vaughn got in there, DeAndre Jordan started games. Like that was a clear line. Kenny Atkinson is the coach. Jared Allen's the starter. Kenny Atkinson's fired. DeAndre Jordan now is the starter. But Jared Allen is flourishing again under Jacques Vaughn. It's a really difficult situation. We can all be mad at DeAndre Jordan for you know, signing this contract with this team and entrenching himself on the salary cap sheet of the Nets, which is going to potentially force our favorite little tall nerd, Jared Allen, out of the roster. But this is just the situation. This when you when you're signing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, this is what you're going to get into. You get someone like DeAndre Jordan. And I still DeAndre Jordan still had value. 
totally disagree that DeAndre Jordan at $10 million a year was like a terrible contract. I think he still has value. What we're just seeing now is that Jared Allen is impressive and that Jared Allen can can continue to do the things that we saw him do before this team actually got good. Was that he is a, a, a mobile shot blocking center who is dedicated to flushing the ball at the basket, who can get rebounds, and then is showing a little playmaking. It's just showing a little touch of if the ball's in my hand and the defender's sloughing off of me, and I have some room to operate, can I find a cutter? Can I find someone for an open shot? And he can do that. More importantly than anything else, I mean, the guy played 37 minutes, three fouls. Hasn't had more than four fouls in the bubble. Like, he stays home. He's conservative. He doesn't get into foul trouble. Like, how how often do you see 22, 23-year-old, whatever, centers that just don't struggle with foul trouble that are, you know, kind of known for being rim, rim protectors? That just doesn't happen. And that's the thing, too, is, like, there's an upward trajectory still because he's so young. Like, he's, he's not going to get worse unless if there's an injury. I don't think Jared Allen's really ever had an injury. Has he? Like, I can't I can't think of a time when he was, you know, at a, at a tremendous stretch of injury. Pretty much everyone else on the team besides Joe Harris has, but not Jared Allen. And it just becomes a really difficult question. The center position is where teams save money now in the NBA, unless if you had Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. You just save money at center. You don't spend money there. You don't, the, the Warriors didn't when they were going on their run, even though you can consider Draymond Green a center, but he really, really isn't. He was defensively at times, but he really isn't. That's where you save money. The Nets are already spending $10 million a year on DeAndre Jordan. If the Nets want to sign Joe Harris over the luxury tax, want to use the Burr rights to sign Joe Harris, whatever he may cost, to then ask Josai, even though as wealthy as he is, to spend, you know, 2x the amount that it would take to re-sign Jared Allen. It's just a lot of money and resources being thrown away at a position that you can get cheap. You know, there's another side to this is that him playing so well does increase his trade value. And I, you know, I don't want to look at it so coldly, but that is the truth. I could see another team getting more and more intrigued by the thought of Jared Allen being like, he's obviously a starting center for the next 10 years in the NBA. But if you're the Nets, do you want to get rid of a guy who's a starting center in the NBA for 10 years? I don't, it's a very sticky wicket, Brian. I think, I think it is a sticky wicket and it's helpful to think about it as DeAndre Jordan is part of the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving package, you know, like that is, it is a part of it, right? <laughs> so it's like, if you, if you don't break that out in that, like what, what are the costs or what are the benefits of DeAndre Jordan? Well, DeAndre Jordan is a direct conduit to the two best players in the team and maybe the second or third best player, or maybe the best player in basketball when he comes back from his injury. That's a pretty nice, like weird, it's, it's like, it's an intangible part of the, of the rap sheet, right? So I think it's helpful for me to break it out that way because like the loss of Jared Allen feels super sad. <laughs> Just like the, the, like the, the loss of it for due to like politicking purposes, right? That's like the worst kind of version of that. Um, and I don't want to see it and I hope that there's a way to work around it. Um, but I am preparing my body for heartache as ever. And I just want to look up because I think there's a needle that could be thread with the Brooklyn Nets here because we talk about like, is Jacques Vaughn the coach actually for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? You know, everything this, this next season is going to be heading towards a championship push. There's not going to be any room for like growth anymore, unfortunately. It's just, you only have Kevin Durant at the level that he may be at for a certain amount of years. Kyrie Irving, just by his nature, may not be a guy who's here for eight seasons. He may only be here for another three. And if you got three seasons out of him, that would be a phenomenal. So this whole team is focused on this next 2020-2021 season. You could just say, we're not going to extend Jared Allen. We're just going to we're just going to take you for this final year of your contract. We'll give you a qualifying offer 
next the season after that, but just say, you know what? We will pay $4 million for Jared Allen as a 22-year-old backup center, maybe sometimes starter. If we end up losing him for basically nothing, that's the price we'll pay for one real push. Because if you trade him now, you're not going to get as good of a backup center. And you're weakening your team unless if he's part of a really big package that brings in someone incredible. Like all the names we hear about, Beal, McCollum, whoever. Ben Simmons, maybe. I don't know what's happening with him. But, they, you know, they could keep him, and but they're probably going to then lose him for nothing. And that's not really how you build a, a really strong long-term basketball team. But you could look at it as we're keeping Jared Allen for one season for sure on that last year of his rookie deal. Well, it's like it's like signing a guy or making a trade where we only know we're going to get him for one season. Basically what the Wizards did with Boyan Bogdanovich when they traded him, when the Nets traded him to the Wizards, which is like, He's basically, the Nets are basically acquiring a guy for one season and knowing that he's probably going to leave right after that and they're not going to get anything for him. And that's how they could view it. It's not the best asset management, but if you're in a championship push, it is certainly something to consider. Speaking of championship pushes, if you want to make this podcast the championship of champion of all Nets podcasts, go to Apple, iTunes, rate us five stars. We need them. We want to have them. Emails, one guy from Traboy. Oh. Um, Jay Cruz saying about my, my extremely spicy Pam Beasley take from last week. Jay Cruz, hey guys, I really enjoyed the last pod. I think it was funny when Brian exposed Pam for the fraud that she is, which leads me to my question. Can you match up this current Nets roster with who they would be from the office? Hope you have fun with it. Uh, I think we are going to do that for bringing back the killer comparison, Mike, for fun for next week. But we should do like teams in the bubble, right? As like whole te- whole teams in the bubble, yeah. Playoff teams, yeah. Even? Because the bubble really is its own version of the office, its own version That's of so Dunder true. Mifflin. You know, wow, really nice. So um, we we if you're an office fan and a fan of basketball, you listen next week. We will do killer comparisons. Well, I want I want them to be emailing in their their versions of it. I want to steal their takes. Yeah, that's everyone that's email us, so, so we don't have to do any work. <laughs> Netspot at Netspot Netspot Yeah, yeah, come on. Okay, but we'll talk about it. I mean, that's a tease. We'll talk about tease it. for next. Starts with a P. Oh gosh. Okay, um, lots to look forward to. Um, hey, Mike, thanks for having. Hey. Me. hey.